Well, Mark, it, it only took three episodes, and we're already talking about our first controversial topic. It happened already. It's been the big news that's been all over uh, Mass High School hockey over the last couple of days, almost a week now. Brian Foley suspended at Pope Francis. It's kind of the first, unfortunately, first big news story, I guess, of the season. Yeah, this is this is what qualifies as breaking news when you're recording the podcast every couple of weeks. So this is you know, late breaking news for anyone who's listening to this for the first time, but um, it, it's, it's a big shift when it comes to mass high school hockey, specifically because, you know, Pope is one of the preseason favorites, one of the top teams in the state. They won the state championship last year. You were expecting big things from them this year. So this kind of throws a wrench into their plans um, from the very earliest set. And yeah, it, it also was a bit of a surprise how it was handled, how quickly it came down. It was it was shocking all around all, all across the board. So I guess so. Yeah, let's kind of start at the beginning, right? Like what what exactly happened? Because I agree the timeline was was kind of strange. I know uh, when when it first happened and we were texting about it. You know, m- my initial reaction was, well, somebody was upset that their kid didn't make varsity. <laughs> kind of joking around because <laughs> the timing was so weird. But it doesn't seem like that's what happened. Like so, from from what you understood, what exactly happened here? No, and, and that's exactly right. So um, first off, I can't take full credit for all of the knowledge around this. That, you know, and this is one of the, you know, things I'll just give a tip of the hat to uh, Meredith Perry um, from Mass Live, who broke this story and was the first person to have it. Um, and she confirmed most of the details that we all know now. But um, so that speaks something to good reporting, you know, still being a really key element um, in the sports um, lexicon. But uh, basically, what happened here is, you know, obviously, Coach Foley's been coaching the Pope Francis program for quite a while. His team won the state championship. Um, essentially, what happened is the MIAA received an allegation um, against a member of Pope Francis's team on November 27th. And basically, they provided a statement to Mass Live saying that the investigation and suspension of the team's head coach was effective as of December 11th. And what um, Coach Foley was found in violation of was violating what's called rule 40. So essentially what that amounts to is out of season activities. So essentially if I can just boil that down, it's multiple pages in the MIA rule book. And you know, if you want to put yourself to sleep, you can feel free to read hundreds of pages worth of the <laughs> MIA's handbook. But the short version of it is they, they deem it acceptable for coaches to offer things like general counsel and whatnot to student athletes and parents about what activities conditioning and weightlifting programs and things of that nature. But it's when um, coaches are utilizing school uniforms or school names, participating in tournaments and things of that nature, or being a part of uh, participating in different sports, AKA coaching on the bench at, at games in the summer or things of that nature. Um, there's also um, a number of other communication rules as well, when you can and cannot communicate with um, your students and your players. So, Specifically, what the violation was was not disclosed, and I doubt that it will be. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's essentially what it comes down to, and the penalty is going to be a one-year, 365-day suspension, meaning that he will not be able to return behind the bench until December 11th of 2024. And um, essentially, well, and 
as far as I know, Pope Francis is still appealing that ruling. That's what was being reported when this first came out. So I'm assuming that is still the case. Um, they've also named an interim coach, Daniel Fenton. So he's going to be the coach for the balance of this year. And so if they're going to reclaim their title and go back to back, Fenton is going to be the person at the helm. Yeah. So we don't know the specifics of what happened or, or what was there was a what was alleged to have happened. We don't know who you know made the accusation. Obviously, that's going to stay private. Although it does. It does seem like, from the information that was out there, I think through the MIAA, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that it was not you know, a parent-based complaint. It, it was more than likely from, again, and I'm just speculating here, mm-hmm. maybe another coach, maybe from another program. Like that, that seems to be what it seems like. It wasn't something that they self-reported either. No, no, absolutely not. It wasn't self-reported. It, and th- as much as the MIA has admitted, they released a formal statement shortly after the Best Life article um, came out. And essentially what they, what they disclosed is that a member school, quote unquote, um, yeah. was, the, was the one that essentially blew the whistle on this and made the accusation, which there was then an investigation that was done. And this investigation, you know, going from, if you look at the timeline, November 27th until December 11th, that's how you know. That's how short a time span that they ruled on this and decided that it was going to be a full year suspension, which for the MIAA is a very very quick turnaround, um, yeah. and also a pretty heavy um, decision on top of that. So what we do know, based on what the MIAA disclosed, is that this was a reporting from a member school. So it had nothing to do with parents, nothing to do with individual players or things like that. It was all done via a member school. Now, was it a coach? Was it an athletic director? We have no idea, and I'm not sure that we'll ever know. Yeah. But that is that is the crux of what we are aware of so far. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like I said, when we first heard about this, my my I, I joked with you about it. My initial reaction was some somebody's upset their kid didn't make varsity just based on the timing, especially because it was levied on on November 27th is when the when the initial you know complaint was filed with the league. So that made me think again. It's right at the end of tryouts. You know, it it, it lined up to look that way. But uh, I was wrong. In my initial speculation, that was not the case. Now, it's interesting, though, because, and again, there's rules for a reason. If you are discovered having broken a rule and there is a, a, a defined penalty for that, you should serve whatever that penalty is. In this case, a suspension. I'm not saying that it's excusable because everybody does it, but I do think it's a point to be made that, like, Everybody kind of does this. <laughs> you know, there's ways yes. around it. And and maybe the issue here is that Foley was a little too overt in the way that he was doing it. But, I mean, let's not be naive either and pretend like there aren't other programs and other coaches around the state that aren't doing the same thing. There's just ways around it without doing it so specifically maybe. And, and again, we don't know exactly yeah. what the allegation was here, but I, I don't – I just think it needs to be said that, like – we're not naive here in thinking that, oh my God, you know, he's he's the only one that's done this. This is happening everywhere. Look at Hockey Night in Boston. You know what I mean? Like, Hockey Night in Boston, sure. my son played in the junior high tournament this past summer, and you look at the coaches and, and, <laughs> and the rosters, and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, most of the kids from high school X are, are on this one Hockey Night in Boston team, and oh, what do you know? One of their assistant coaches is coaching that team. Like, this, this stuff is happening all over the place. It, it just maybe isn't as overt in in as you know hitting you over the head with whatever yes. I mean, it had to have been fairly obvious what whatever pope francis was alleged to have done here is, is my point 
Yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair. And the other thing, too, is, you know, I've seen the same thing, especially during the summer. You have all kinds of tournaments involving mass high school athletes. And many of them, you know, it's um, in some cases, it's not at the advice of their coaches, but many of them will go in and jump into these tournaments so that they can get a chance to, you know, skate during the summer so that they feel like they're ready for the regular season. Now, the advice of the coaches could be, you know, understanding what, you know, what's out there, what's available and things like that. They're not necessarily going to be behind the bench, but you're going to have, you know, some of that conversation taking place, which is totally permissible. Yeah. Um, I think what the MIAA is probably worried about is, you know, that there's a fairness to, you know, what's happening in league. So, for example, if you have a school that, you know, has um, whether it's like a, an endowment or some large amount of money that's set aside for their athletics, you know, that they go and, you know, travel all over the country doing different tournaments, they come back and they dominate during the regular season. You know, that's what the MIA would deem unfair compared to, you know, what's what a typical path would be where a player just kind of gets better in their driveway. And then, you know, they do some skills work or they do one or two events like a Chowder Cup or a Hockey Night in Boston or something like that. Yeah. That's the typical path that the MIAA is used to. But the I think the difference now is you're in a much more modern era where there are tournaments upon tournaments upon tournaments. You literally can just, you know, throw a rock from outside your door and find a tournament somewhere. So, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it, it's a it's a very different situation now. And the other thing, to your point about, you know, this the specific suspension, I find particularly interesting is you're right that there are a lot of coaches who are engaging in activity somewhat like this. So I think it's unique that he got specifically called out on it. So I find that particularly interesting. The thing that I find also particularly interesting is most of the time when you have a lot of these decisions that get levied, they usually happen at the end of a season. So let's take, for example, Bishop Fenwick. So they were told at the end of last season that they had an impermissible athlete who had participated during their hockey season, so they would be ineligible for the playoffs for an entire year. That happened at the end of the season. So they had an, you know, an entire offseason to prepare for it. This all came down you know, within less than three weeks. So that is a very unique circumstance and something that struck me as a bit odd. But that was that was one thing that really was kind of interesting about this whole thing. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of subtleties in here that kind of make up a much larger um, a much larger Christmas ham, if you will. Yeah, sure. And, and the in the the Fenwick thing is interesting, obviously, because uh, that was a it still is a very prominent case, and that's one that you know I kind of live in that area. I think was initially brought forth by a parent that that was upset their kid, yes. you know, didn't make varsity for an eighth grader. That was the issue. They were taking on eighth graders, and maybe there were some kids at the high school that weren't making varsity because of an eighth grader, and it sparked a parent complaint, and then it was off and running. And there were there were other things there with Fenwick too, where you know, they, they, I think, what, didn't show up, didn't show up for hearings according to the MIAA and, and some other, some other issues there as well. It wasn't just the one complaint. It was kind of how the whole thing was handled. But what, what does this mean for, in, in your opinion, for, for Pope Francis? I mean, it's still, it's still the same players, right? I mean, like their, their actual yeah. roster isn't going to get uh, affected by this. It's still, the players are who the players are. So from that perspective, uh, on ice, do you think it has an impact? I mean, I guess in in one sense it can have a positive impact because 
if if the players think that their coach has been wronged here, it, it's a rallying point, which sometimes teams that are coming off of championships and, and are getting a little fat and happy need, need some motivation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. y- you know, it's like we've seen it around here with the Patriots forever. Like, I think that's why everybody rallied around deflate gate and everything else. It was like, yeah. you need some sort of motivation. Like, no, we're going to prove you wrong and we're going to kind of stick it to you. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. this affects them on the ice at all? Cause it, I don't feel like it will. Cause it's the same. It's the same group of players. Yeah. I mean, these players have been, you know, together now for the entirety of the off season, they've gone through tryouts. They know exactly who's going to fill in what role. So, from a hockey X's and O's perspective, I don't think a lot changes. And it's not as if the um, assistant coaches were, you know, completely in the dark about, you know, how to coach this team. So I think they are well aware of the systems being run, who's going to play what minutes, who's going to, you know, own what roles, the leadership group. So from that perspective, I don't think there's going to be much of a change. The style will be much the same. They'll still be fast. They'll still be athletic. They'll still be dangerous. And they'll still be one of the top teams in the state. I don't think that changes at all. Um, you know, I think if anything, this is probably going to make that team pretty angry. So if they're, you know, whoever the the first few opponents are that are facing Pope Francis, I do not envy them because <laughs> Pope, Pope is going to come into this thing steaming mad. And I would have to think that, you know, they're going to have a lot of initial MIAA opponents who are going to be in the line of fire um, to kind of start this thing off. Now, I say that, by the way, and they had already started their season um, down in uh, Martyr Arena playing at Sacred Heart against um, BC High, Don Bosco, and um, a couple others. And um, I believe it was Notre Dame West Haven as well um, to start their season in a tournament. So, you know, they've already got a couple of games under their belts, and they're going to be coming back up here um, for the Christmas tournament. So um, I would I would say to those uh, the teams at the Freighties, just be ready. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about that in a little bit because uh, they're, they're in one of the – premier Christmas tournaments as, as we talked about. We'll kind of preview what's coming up for the Christmas tournaments here over the next week or so uh, in a little bit. But let's talk, before we get into what will be happening, uh, let's get into a little of what has happened. You've been in the rink quite a bit. And uh, what has stood out to you here early on in the first couple of weeks of the year? Yeah, there's there's been a little bit. I could say that, you know, there's definitely some indications that we can take from the early games that we were at. But The other thing, too, is, you know, we're looking at this from a holistic point of looking at some of the rosters, looking at the schedules, understanding and seeing some of the results. It it seems a bit different than, you know, what we're used to. Now, granted, we've been doing Mass NZ for the past six years. So, you know, it's kind of established a bit of a cadence. And, you know, we're very used to timing and um, the way that these seasons are typically, you know, put together and the way the rosters are built. I will say that this season, more than any that we've had in the past, um, the rosters are definitely getting younger. And we're also starting to see more young players who are taking a much bigger role into teams offensively and defensively. You're seeing more eighth graders on rosters, more ninth graders on rosters. More of them are being put on top lines and top D pairings. You're seeing more of them earning big minutes. So it's really, it's really interesting because we talked a little bit about this in uh, episode two, and this is everyone's cue to uh, go ahead and tag and go back and listen to episode two yes. and come back and listen to this. Yes. Um, pause right here. <laughs> absolutely. And then, and then just come back to it. Just mark the timestamp now. So if you look at, you know, the, the way that, you know, kind of youth is being served across the state, I, I just find it really interesting because historically it's always been the same, you know, mix of players where, Obviously, you have your senior and your junior captains 
they're the leaders. They're the ones who are primarily your top scorers, the ones who are the most experienced and the strongest and the biggest. But it's starting to become a younger and younger league. Now, I'm sure some may disagree with that, you know, saying it as fact. But just from the early games that we've seen, you know, just going to Canton, Lincoln, Sudbury, Belmont and CM, Burlington versus Reading, a lot of those younger players are starting to have impacts. And it's really interesting. You know, it's something we haven't seen you know, in past seasons before. So it's, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, what do you think the reason for that is? I mean, I'm curious, is it, is it something as simple as this group of, of 08s and 09s who are now freshmen and sophomores? Are those just particularly strong groups? And they're stronger than maybe the, the 06s and, and 07s? Or, or is it a situation where maybe the 06s and 07s were, were trending a little bit on, on the weaker side in terms of depth? You know, not in terms of like the top players are always going to be good, but I mean in terms of depth, like mm-hmm. in the group as a whole. And maybe if there's a lack of depth and, and schools don't have as many uh, 06s and 07s, juniors or seniors, who are really going to shine or maybe if they're just logistically in smaller groups in terms of overall numbers it creates more opportunities for underclassmen like having watched this and these kind of groups develop over the last couple of years where do you think the infusion of youth is coming from is it a a lack of depth in the older age groups or, or is it you know just there's a lot of really good players in the 08 and 09 age group yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of factors, and and you hit on just about all of them. So, the the first the first part being that you know looking at the depth, and you know I have the luxury of of seeing a lot of these age groups all across New England. So understanding and seeing them as they come up through the ranks, you get to get a pretty good idea of where the depth exists. And what I've seen so far is looking at the 2008 group across New England. They're one of the deepest I can remember scouting, and that's you know it, it calls back a little bit to the 2005s who had a very strong class in this area and many, you know, saw them, you know, up on stage at the NHL draft not too long ago. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest there in what the 08s are going to develop into, um, you know, a few years down the road. Now looking at the 09s as well, you're starting to see a lot of the, the top um, kids start to come to the forefront. And that's something that's particularly interesting for mass high school, because you're starting to see this trend starting to develop where, if you have those top flight players, you know, they, they have a choice to make. So do they go back and play, you know, 14U, 15U for a junior program? Do they go and, you know, try to look for somewhere to, you know, spend the next season, two seasons, three seasons? Many of them are choosing, hey, why don't I go play Mass High School and, you know, see how I can do against older competition and then take it from there? And, and that's what a lot of those younger players have done over the last three to four years Again, I keep going back to the example, but if you look at a Ryan Leonard, it's a great call where he was one of the premier talents in the state. And the question was, okay, where where can I go to challenge myself? And he decided that Pope Francis was the place for him because he was going to be going up against top competition, playing prep teams, mass high school teams, and you know, ultimately competing for championships. So, you know, I think a lot of players see that path, especially players who are eighth graders and freshmen and even some sophomores. And they say, you know what, I feel that exact same way. I've been, you know, working with my youth organization for the past, you know, however many years, it's time for me to really challenge myself. And, you know, the coaches are starting to oblige saying, yep, I think you deserve playing time. And you're seeing more and more of it, that more of these players are starting to make that impact. And I think the other thing too, is when you talk about depth, I think that's also a really important factor for these rosters. 
Um, there are quite a few top seniors, top juniors across the state, and, and that's across all teams. You're, you have those players that you can always rely on as your top, you know, D pair, your top line forwards. But in many cases across the state, there are some teams that are struggling to, you know, feel full rosters. There are other teams that, you know, have sustained a ton of losses to other teams, um, juniors, preps, et cetera. So in some ways they're forced to add those players. But the thing that I find interesting is, you know, you're, you're starting to see more of them taking on bigger roles as well. They're not just making the roster. They're starting to make an impact. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to see. And honestly, it's a good thing for the league overall, because if this becomes the development path in the state, then you start to have more of a revival of, you know, come and play for your hometown, which, you know, is something the MIAA has been championing for years and years. So that's something that could be very exciting. Yeah. Another trend that I know you, you've noticed early on, and I, I don't know what to make of this one, is some more blowouts. Like we've had some lopsided yeah. scores. And, you know, it's funny because, like, I know you sent the notes for the rundown, what we we're going to talk about this week. And, and I was trying to come up with a logical explanation for why that has existed, maybe more than it typically has. And I don't know that I have one. Like, I, I don't know that I yeah. can, can think of one. What do you think is the reasoning behind that? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, and, and now granted, am I the, you know, the grand poobah of all things, you know, competition committee? Probably not. But, you know, just looking at this holistically and looking at the factors within the um, within the league itself, I feel like there are a few things at play here. So one of them being, you know, you have teams that have traditionally competed at, you know, D1, D2 levels who are moving down to D3 and D4 conferences. Oh, that's a good when point. You have, yeah. When you have that, you know, there's a competition adjustment that needs to take place, especially for teams who are, you know, not used to that level of competition. So I think that and, and that's not, not the entire story. Let's, let's you know, get that out in the open. That's just a piece of it. Um, I think if I were to add a second element there, it would be scheduling. So in some cases, I've seen D1 teams who are scheduling D3s and D4s to start their season. Almost kind of like, you know, the, um, you know, uh, college football or college basketball, you know, the games where you get to go in and play at, you know, a giant arena and, you know, you get paid the tens of thousands of dollars. Um, these teams aren't getting any money, but they're being asked to go on the road and play against, you know, top D1 competition. So that's kind of an interesting thing as well. That's, you know, if they win those games or they compete in those games, it helps them in their power rankings. But otherwise, it's a really, really tough assignment for those teams. And then the other the other final thing that I would kind of qualify here, too, is, you know, it, there's a lot of haves and have nots when it comes to these individual divisions. So the there's a very there's more of a disparity today in the bottom of your D3 D4 conferences um, as compared to the top levels. Part of that is because of the rearranging of you know those D1 and D2 teams that have come down, but it's also because so many of those teams at the lower levels are either struggling to field teams or um, many of them haven't had you know um, instructional training or they haven't you know had you know the benefit to a lot of you know, the instructional work that many of those top teams have had. So, you know, many of those kids are, they're getting out there and they're playing for fun. You know, and there are other teams who are going out there, you know, who have, you know, done skill work on every Wednesday and they've, you know, so like there's, I think there's a disparity there for sure. And, you know, when we say blowouts, you know, we're not talking like five to one or six to one. We're talking about, you know, nine to nothing, 11 to nothing, 12 to nothing, 14 to one. 
like those are those are pretty lopsided scores. Yeah. So, you know, th- those are those are the kind of things that at least popped into my head when I started seeing that. I'm curious too. Like, what do you think in terms of one of the things that, that I did think of that could be a factor is you've got some schools that obviously have multi-sport athletes, and those guys mm-hmm. may have been playing football in the fall, right? Or they were playing soccer in the fall, or or whatever they were doing in their fall sport, and maybe they weren't playing split season. Whereas some of these guys do play split season; they don't play a fall sport, and these kids are coming in, you know, already into their hockey season. Like that, that's one of the things that, that I've noticed, even when my, when my kid was a lot younger, like I'm talking peewees, the kids have played football in the fall and didn't, you know, they were at practice, they were at our games, but they weren't really fully engaged into what we were doing until, mm-hmm. you know, right around Thanksgiving. Those kids, it always took them until about Christmas to kind of be like, all right, you know, they're, they're in hockey mode now. Uh, whereas, yeah. You know, some of the kids, my son included, didn't have a fall sport. They didn't play football. They were full goal with hockey from August at the end of August on, and and they kind of had a little bit of a head start because of that. Is it a little bit of the same thing? Like, where if these guys are, or if some of these kids are, are three sport athletes, or even just two sport athletes, but their that second sport is in the fall, and they're not mm-hmm. doing split season somewhere. You know, they're just maybe they haven't skated much in the last three months, and. You know, they're just starting to kind of – I mean, I'm sure they're doing a little bit on the side, you know, while they've got their other sport going on. But if you're a football player, especially if you're on a good team and you're a good player and you're a contributor, you're practicing five days a week, plus you have a game, plus you got homework to do and everything else. Like, it's you may not have a lot of time to get on the ice more than once, maybe twice a week. And at that point, it's probably just skill work or maybe even just some stick and puck. You're just trying to do some stuff on your own uh, as opposed to the kids that have kind of been – you know, practicing three times a week and playing two or three games a weekend since September, that can, I, I would think, could be a big separator too. Yeah, it, it definitely can be. The one qualification I think too is, you know, when you're talking about multi-sport athletes, a lot of people don't necessarily realize because in many cases you're, you know, strictly a hockey fan and you're, you know, watching your favorite team or you're watching your, you know, uh, the school that you attended or something like that. There are a lot of players on every team, whether that's, public high school or private high school, many of them are multi-sport athletes. So there are some teams where you have as many as 50 to 60% of them are all multi-sport athletes who are coming off of something that they were doing in the fall and going straight into hockey in the winter. It's honestly a very typical path. And especially when you talk about public high schools, it happens all the time, especially where, and, and I just off the top of my head, I can think of a whole bunch of them. So um, Hingham, for example, they've always been a really strong multi-sport school. So they not only compete for championships in hockey, but they do the same in soccer. They do the same in lacrosse. They have a very good lacrosse program. The same thing for um, private schools like St. John's Prep. They're always competing in football, in lacrosse, um, in soccer. And, you know, they have athletes who play those multiple sports. So, um, and some of them in some cases are committed to um, D1 schools for other sports, but they're yeah. still playing hockey. That's a good point. So, that's a pretty typical path as well. So like um, I'm trying to think of a couple of examples. So I know that um, Jimmy Kenny playing for Needham, I believe he's committed D one lacrosse. If I recall correctly, I believe it's to Notre Dame, but he's not a bad program. Only one of their top. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a decent, it's a yeah. decent landing spot. I gotta be honest yeah, with you. I, I think but, I, I would. Yeah. You're, you're going to do okay there. <laughs> yeah. He's going to, he's going to do just fine. But um, yeah, so he is. And that's the thing is, you know, getting to and and he's not a bad hockey player at all he's actually quite good but you know it gives you an idea of how good he is at at lacrosse you know that he's 
you know, taking an interest from Notre Dame. Sure. So, you know, that, that gives you an idea. And um, there were some others, too. So um, just off the top of my head, I know that um, uh, specifically with St. John's Prep, you have um, Jake Vana, who's a multi-sport athlete, and um, he's always been a really talented soccer player. Um, you know, and, and I believe he also um, he's committed via lacrosse as well because he plays three sports. Uh, so he's committed to Princeton um, to play lax. But he's one of the top scorers on St. John's Prep's team. So, you know, it, it's basically the, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, there, there are so many of these multi-sport athletes who are playing big roles for these teams. But the thing is that you're absolutely right that it does take a game or three games or five games to really get into hockey mode. So that's not atypical at all. And um, I can remember um, last year, or I think it might have been two years ago, actually, um, there was a player from Melrose, Brendan Fennell, um, who was a terrific multi-sport athlete and um, a football quarterback for Melrose who led them, um, I believe, to a state championship um, at Melrose. He then would jump into hockey season immediately right after, you know, going all the way to, you know, play at Gillette. And he'd, you know, take the pads off and go right into hockey, like pretty much immediately because the season would end and then hockey would start. Sure. So he would come in and honestly, there wasn't a huge disparity there. Like he would just come in and just start dominating immediately because he could see the ice so well. Um, he ended up committing to Tufts and he plays now at Tufts. I believe he's in his second season there, I think. But um, he's been, he was a terrific, a terrific player. And the thing for him is that, you know, he was able to make those adjustments coming directly from football over to hockey. And um, he ended up uh, then moving, he went from Melrose on to Avon O Farms to now he's um, in his second year at Tufts. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see how how that develops. There are so many of those stories across the state. Yeah, and I feel like too, like, look, if you're a good athlete, you're a good athlete, right? <laughs> it it kind of carries over to to a million different sports. If you're a good lacrosse player because you're really athletic, you're going to be a really good hockey player because you're just really athletic. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <You know? laughs> it helps. It really it really does, and it's it, it's funny because there's there's the the thought process of nothing but hockey focus on nothing but hockey that's all you do that's all you care about in many cases it's because you play multiple other sports that you have the athleticism to be able to have success on the ice so yeah. i think that's a that's a great point yeah and but at the same time like you could be a, a standout athlete and you will catch up pretty quickly if, if you are that athletic but there's definitely going to be like you said a one or two week period a couple of yep. games where you just have to get back up to speed again, you know, you know, especially if everyone's had a three month head start. Like if you're a kid that hasn't played hockey at all in the fall because you're the starting quarterback in the football team and uh -huh. you've got this other kid who's not as athletic as you, but he has played the last three months. He's been on the ice practicing twice a week, has had skills once a week, and he's playing two games every weekend all on the ice like that kid for the first couple of weeks is going to be a little bit of a step ahead but the good athlete's going to catch up pretty quickly and that gap will shrink and then i think maybe some of these some of these scores and, and from what we see maybe some of that starts to shrink down too you know it's the mm -hmm. same thing as like it's the same thing as you've brought up with the multi-sport athlete versus the the specialized hockey player like yeah the specialized and i've seen it with my kids come up with the youth ranks the specialized hockey player is going to be a better u12 player and you and u14 yeah. player he he is he's gonna because if he, all you do is hockey you're gonna be the better u12 and u14 player but who's gonna be the better u16 player who's gonna be the better u18 player i, I think the 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 evidence has kind of it's bared itself out over time that the better athletes are the ones that 
survive as that pyramid gets smaller and you move up and up the ranks. So I, I definitely think you want to be as athletic as possible, like it, just from a player yeah. standpoint. Like you, you want to be as athletic as you can in everything that you do. Uh, and, and that's why like off-ice stuff is so critical. If, if you are a hockey-specific athlete, it's why, you've, why your off-ice training and your dryland stuff is so critically important to make sure you stay athletic. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that those guys catch up pretty quickly, like we said. But there probably is, you know, right around this time. Like, this is around the time where that gap probably gets closed all the way and, it, and it's shut. And now everybody's on the same playing field, you know, the rest of the way. But I could certainly see where, for the first week or two, the guys that have been ingrained in hockey for three months are going to have – they're going to be a little bit ahead of the guys that haven't been for those first couple of weeks, but it's not going to last for the whole season. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we, we noted that too, as, as one of our early observations that there have been some jitters early in the season, just from the games that I went to personally um, over the past couple of weeks, there was a lot of, a lot of that where, you know, there were missed passes and there were, you know, um, you know, toe picking and there was, and there were like mistakes made on positioning. And, you know, it's, it's because, you know, in some cases you just haven't had that experience of being on the ice completely competing against top competition, you know, having, being in kind of that mode, you know, there are a lot of kids who just aren't there yet because they're just getting their season started. But, you know, we noticed this with a lot of the top contenders last year in the early part of the season, there were a lot of little miss miss passes and little, little things that, you know, they can tweak and adjust towards the end of the season, that stuff all ironed out pretty quickly. And the, the top teams came right to the top pretty much immediately. Once you, once you hit January then it's just skyrockets from there. And, you know, you kind of get a real indication of who the who the top folks are. And, and you, you saw a lot of that last year, and it would not surprise me to see the same thing this year. But I will say that, you know, some of the early teams that, you know, we really liked, it was, it was awesome to see, you know, um, Canton specifically. They looked really good in their opening game against Lincoln Sudbury. We thought CM looked, looked pretty good in um, coming back from their early playoff loss, and, and they were – um, they did pretty well against a, a stern Belmont team and Reading looks like they're ready to compete as well against, they played well against Burlington, um, with a comeback victory. So there was, there was a lot of really interesting stuff there. The contenders look like the contenders. Yeah. And, and some interesting ones too, like you said, I know we, we highlighted some of these teams in our last episode, but, uh, you know, a lot of publics, I mean, in this list you have here, you got quite a, quite yep. a few, quite a few publics in here that. Uh, have looked good early on. Belmont, Reading, Canton, uh, CM obviously not a public, but still uh, a lot of publics that have looked good early on. Uh, and obviously yeah. the the ones that we expected to look good, uh, teams like like Hingham, uh, they've they've looked pretty good, you know as well. Yeah, they've yeah, and, and we've actually we've seen Hingham twice. The the caveat here is that you know we have a, a fairly large scouting staff where there are multiple folks that are catching games. You know, I can only speak to the ones that I've seen in person, but. Um, from the scouts that I've talked to, you know, so far who have been out to games, they've liked what they've seen out of Hingham and um, they're intrigued by the goaltending and, you know, some new contributions from new folks up front. And, you know, there, there's there's a lot of that excitement early with, you know, with some of these teams. And um, that's that's really, you know, you get some early readings before the Christmas tournaments really get cranked up. And that's kind of the exciting thing. And that's where, you know, we're, we're really excited about that because it's it's coming quickly. You know, <laughs> I feel like we just started this podcast, you know, just a couple of days ago and here we are on episode three and now we're getting close to Christmas time. Seriously. Yeah. It sneaks up on you quick. Uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, was it Ian, was Ian Moran at a high school game over the weekend? I think he was at a he was. Game. Was he at a Hingham yep. game? Ian, Ian was there for sure. We had, um, I thought I saw him uh, former, tweeting about we had former assistant coach, um, Mike Hayes has been out to a few games as well already. So nice. we've already had, um, three or four guys out at games so far. And I think we're going to have a few more 
uh, that are going to be coming up in the next few uh, the next few weeks. Usually, the way it works is we cycle through um, some of our folks each month. So, um, de depending on everyone's availability, but we usually get anywhere from five to six people in rinks during the course of the season. And there's a lot of games coming up here right after the well, a little bit of a break, I guess, going into Christmas this weekend, and then next week. I mean, boom, the 27th, a, a Tuesday night, you know, when, when you're listening to this, it's, it's coming up in only a couple of days. We've got Christmas tournaments all over the state. And, and some big ones, uh, obviously the Frady's Classic is a big one. Uh, that's going to be Pope Francis, BC High, St. John's Prep, and Central Catholic. I mean, there's just, there's several big, big Christmas tournaments that so, yep. some are big, like like the Frady's Classic is, is probably the premier one, but there's still some other big ones as well. And then also, like, look, look around town. If, if you're in the western part of the state or in central mass or, or in the south shore like you look around you're going to find that there's probably a christmas tournament within like 20 minutes of your house i bet because yeah. there's there's so many of them uh, so there'll be a lot of hockey to check out here you know coming up in just a couple of days there there are so many it, it's it's pretty cool that you know what what i love is that there's some of them that you know have been rooted in in history for years and years and years and you know they've been run you know for you know 10 20 some odd years um, and in some cases, they rotate in different teams. In other cases, it's always been the same four or the same eight or what have you, which is a pretty cool thing. And it's also, it's not just Division One teams. There are a lot of D3s and D4s that have their own tournaments, as well as a mix and match of, of different teams that are all based in the same area. Um, so it's it's pretty cool to to see a lot of that. But, you know, to your point, um, you know, most of these tournaments are starting up on the 27th. There are, I think, maybe two or three that start on the 26th, but... Um, that's not atypical. You have some that start a little bit early and end a little bit early as well. But um, I think the premier is the Freighties. That's what everyone usually has their eye on. And, you know, the, it's also kind of a Lord of the Flies parking over at Essex Sports Center. So that's kind of an indication that the Freighties is, is approaching. But um, oh, the parking uh, is terrible. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. It's, uh, yeah. And, and then there's the overflow lot in, the, like, the police lot. So, yeah, yeah. it's a. Parking you you got to get there early. You got to yeah, get there early. If they've got uh, basketball tournaments going on in the turf field, if they turn that into basketball, forget it. Because there's like eight basketball games and two hockey games going on at once. It's a disaster. So mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully it's not as bad. I, I've been up there for for some difficult, difficult parking yeah. days. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I, remember, I remember vividly having to go out in the middle of a tournament and actually go move my car because they – um, had so much overflow parking that they couldn't keep it in the same area because they had to leave room for the buses. So like, yes. you know, it's in the it fire. Just, That's always a big bonkers. one. Can the fire truck get up there? Y right. Just exactly. In case, so <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> luckily they leave the fire lanes open, but yeah, it, it is, it is jam packed there every single year. But, um, and yeah, so the, the phrase is, is probably, you know, the, the one that most people know right off the bat, I'd say a close second would be the MHL cup. Um, which stands for My Hockey Live, and they broadcast that every year um, from Loring Arena, which, by the way, um, that's kind of an omission from Episode 1. Again, feel free to go back and listen to Episode 1. Um, there were it's, it's one of my favorite places to watch a game just because there's so much history in that rink, and you have kind of like the dome structure with, you know, the wood boards, and um, it's, it's just a, it's a really, really cool venue to watch a game. And when that place is packed, it gets loud. So it is, it is a really fun place to watch a game. And the MHL Cup is, you know, Framingham, St. John, Shrewsbury, Marshfield, and Franklin, four teams that we had, you know, right near um, our top contenders list. Yep. So that's going to be another one that's going to be very, very interesting. 
Yeah, I've, I've never. I've, well, I've never been there to watch a game. I did a USA hockey training there a long time ago, uh, but I've never yeah. been in there to watch a game. But my mother-in-law lives not too far, so maybe that if we're down there next week, it's and it'll be good competition. <laughs> it'll be really good competition down there too if you get a chance to. Um, we got a new I, one too, right? Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say there's there's a brand new tournament that they're starting this year. They're calling it the Arrow Christmas Tournament. So this will take place at the Zapustas and. Um, unsurprisingly, hosted by Braintree, it'll be Braintree, Hingham, Archbishop Williams, and Zavarian. So again, four more top competitors in the state at, from a D1 perspective, yep. all playing each other. So that'll that'll be another good one. So you know you got three premier um, tournaments right off the bat, and of course, I think everyone is probably well aware of the Sereno Christmas Classic as well, um, hosted by Malden Catholic, um, featuring St. Mary's Lynn every year. Um, we're still waiting to get final details on all four teams there. Um, but we know um, all the Catholic and St. Mary's Lynn are definitely in. Um, we're waiting to find out who the uh, last two teams are. But um, rumor is it's going to be East Greenwich um, High School um, out of out of state. So I we actually, shall see. Yeah, I, I have the fourth one if we need it. Um, ah. As an MC, I, we didn't discuss this ahead of time. I didn't look that far ahead. But as an MC alum, uh, I, I got an email. <laughs> I got an email about this last week. Uh, so yeah, the the first matchup on the twenty seventh at five o'clock. Game one is MC versus East Greenwich. Game mm-hmm. two is St. Mary's versus Natick at seven thirty. Ah, interesting. And then the two winners play That's... at seven thirty on the twenty eighth. The two losers play in the consolation at five o'clock on the twenty eighth. Interesting, because. I was curious about that because there has been a bit of moving and shifting at, at that event for the fourth team. So um, Franklin played in there last year. So it makes sense that they would go back to another South Shore team to bring somebody up. And what's also interesting is Natick historically has played in the Bridgewater Raynham tournament. So that is also quite interesting. So we'll have to see what other shifting oh, is going point. to take place. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Could you theoretically do two? Like if one is the 27th and 28th and the other is the 29th, 30th and 31st. I mean, it's a lot of games, Yeah, you could, but you could, you, you certainly like, there's no limitation. I mean, there is, there is a limitation in how much the teams can be on ice in a given week, but um, you could do back to back tournaments. If you split the games up um, either on certain days or yeah. the number of games, isn't, you know, all packed into one dense little block, but yeah, you can't do four yeah, games that. in four days, obviously, but no, exactly. I, exactly. I don't know when that Bridgewater, if that Bridgewater random tournament is a little bit further back, I guess it's theoretically possible that they could do both. Yeah. I, I want to say they're on the same day. Well, that would be I want to say they're both on the start on the 27th, <laughs> but I could be wrong. <laughs> that would be, that would make it difficult. <laughs> yeah. This is, well, it, it's almost like one of those Seinfeld episodes where, you know, like you double booked or had like the, you know, the, you both uh, or like uh, Kramer and Mickey having the same dates, you know, so yeah. it could yeah. be, it, it could be any, it could be a really tough situation if they have to choose between Bridgewater, Raynham and Sereno. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, you've also got some of the other ones in there too, like the, the Cape Ann tournament. Uh, it's yeah. got Gloucester, Marblehead, Barrington, Rhode Island and Medford. I, I know Gloucester is kind of, again, just knowing from kids that, that my son has played with, who's on the younger side, but still, uh, I know there's a, a pretty big group of younger players coming up through the Gloucester program that uh, they hope can push that program forward here in the next couple of years. So that might be a team to watch uh, in that one. Mm. And, and there's, like I said, look around. I mean, you could yeah go, go to the go to the website, pull up the schedule, and and I guarantee you, you find a Christmas tournament game that's within 
within a 15, 20 minute drive of your house because there's so many of them. And I like, look, I love going to these, especially this time of year because the tournament factor makes it fun. Like, you don't know who you're going to see in the second matchups. You're, you're, and from a team standpoint, you're playing for something. Like, mm-hmm. I know some people think that's overrated. I don't think it is. I think it means something. Same thing with the college tournaments. Like, I think it means something when you have a group of players that are playing for a championship. Yes, it's a tournament championship. It's not a state championship. But I do think it gets you ready for that state tournament type of play. There's a mentality that playing and competing and trying to win these tournaments can can push your team forward at the end of the year when you are in that playoff mode. So like, I don't think it's – I think, honestly, and I have no evidence to back this up, I'll have to go back and look, and and I can report back in two weeks. I'd be willing to bet <laughs> the, the teams that you find that that go the furthest in the in the state tournament probably won a, mm-hmm. a regular season tournament at some point along the way, or at least yeah, were and, like highly competitive yeah. in one. Yep, yep, absolutely. Because many of these many of these competitive teams, yeah, they either were in the final or won the final. So like that, there, there's definitely something there. I don't have the evidence in front of me, but. I know that there are a few on here who have done that. So that would make a lot of sense. And, uh, and by the way, to your point with Gloucester, they've still got, they've got some players there now who are already, um, you know, pretty, they have a lot of offensive firepower there. So the fact that there's more coming up is quite interesting. And I would think that, you know, they're going to be some tough competition in, in the Cape Ann because, yeah. you know, competing against a Barrington, Marblehead and Medford, you know, they're going to have their hands full dealing with Gloucester because Gloucester can put them in. So that'll, that'll be a, That'll be a tough competition. Yeah, I know there's a lot of 08s and 09s in Gloucester that are that are pretty good players, <laughs> just because. Interesting. Uh, you know, my 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 son, who's an eighth grader now, played with and against quite a few of them. So uh, they got some Very players, cool. some players in the pipeline for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we're still waiting on some of these teams, like you said, for for some of these tournaments. Yeah. But uh, it's just it's, it's these. This is the. This t- Aside from the state tournament, this is my favorite time of the year because you get so many of these yeah. crammed within a week. It's good hockey. You get some matchups that maybe you don't usually always see. You know, the Frady's Classic, mm-hmm. you get BC High and St. John's Prep. They're obviously in the same league, and they play Francis. They play Central Catholic a lot. They're going to probably see each other in the state tournament. Those aren't unique matchups, but it's top matchups. But you do get some yeah. You do get some unique ones in there, too, and maybe some some teams that you wouldn't always see play each other, some teams from out of state that come in. Uh, it, it is. Yep. It's it's a it's one of the most fun times of year, especially because everything is condensed. You know, the state tournament yep. can not that it drags on, but it takes a little bit. You know, these Christmas tournaments, you get a lot of good hockey that happens in a span of you know three four days. Exactly, and so, in some cases, just two days. But yeah, yeah there's yeah. a the 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 thing that's awesome too from a scouting context is this isn't just you know the the coaches set it up and you go play it. The players really really want to win these games. And, you know, they're posting on Instagram. They're talking about, you know, we're, you know, finals or ship or, you know. So, like, they're they're really amped up to win these. And there's a lot of pride that goes in, especially for the host schools. There's a lot of pride that goes into winning these events. So, you can bet that you're going to see the best that these teams have to offer. You're not just going for the sake of going. You're going to watch an event. You know, that's that's one of the cool things about this. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's that, that tournament. So, it's a mentality. Like, it's a... Uh... It's a mental thing for these teams, uh, especially younger players, like to have that that carrot right in front of you that you're competing for. It's not like the regular season where it's like, okay, well, we got all these games in a row and it's a three-month season and, you know, it's a marathon. 
when you get in these tournaments, it really turns into a sprint, at least in, in, over the course of this week. And I do think that there's like you start to learn a little bit about a group at that point. You learn a little bit about a team and, and their mentality and how they're going to handle those types of situations. So some of this stuff, you know, could be a precursor for what we're going to see in March. I really, really yeah. think that. I, you hear we see it in college too. College coaches talk about it all the time. It's you look at like look at the BC teams that won national championships. In most in most of those years. Those BC teams won the national championship. They probably won the Hockey East championship. They probably won the Bean Pot. Like every, there's multiple of those BC teams where everything in front of them that they could have won, they won. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. was it the, you know, I have, to, I have to go back and look. Was it the 2015 BU team that lost in the national championship game to Providence? If you look back, I don't know that they won. I got to look now. I don't know that they won any of their of their championships. I don't know if it yeah. was BU. It may have been BU that year. It may have been someone else. But there was someone that you know we, we looked at as a favorite. And then when you look back, you were like, "Wow, you know they 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 didn't at the end of the day they didn't win anything." It's kind of weird. Um, yeah. Now uh, there is let's see. the the other thing too is you have in some of these tournaments because they're so condensed, you also have you know really quick runs by some of these teams. You know you'll see you know four seeds toppling one seeds, or you'll see three seeds toppling two seeds, or you know, whatever it is, because, you know, some of these players just get so amped up to go in games. So there can be some wacky stuff that goes on, you know, where you see some teams that aren't expected to compete beating other teams. So that's the other part of, you know, that's really fun about this. Yeah. It was not BU, by the way. Not the, at least not that team. <laughs> ah. That team won the bean body in the hockey's tournament. So I'm thinking of somebody else. But there, there was one that didn't win the national championship that we all kind of thought would. And then when you look back, and I'll do the digging and figure it out. We'll report on the It's like a teaser. Report. Well, it'll be in the next episode. <laughs> uh, but I remember they're like, I'm covering 20 years of college hockey. There was a team at one point that we kind of felt were, were national championship favorites. And then when we look back, it's like, wow, they didn't win their conference. They didn't win their in-season tournament. We, we kind of... We should have seen this coming. Maybe they just didn't have the mentality to to kind of get through that that playoff push. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll learn about some of these teams over the next week here. That that's that'll be it'll be good. We'll, we'll learn about some competitive. How what's their competitive streak? You know, what's their mentality yeah. like? I think we're gonna learn a little thing or two about some of these groups, especially these. That's teams, that's exactly exactly it. Especially these teams like in the Phoenix Classic and the NHL Cup. I mean, they're all competing against other top teams. Yep, exactly. That, that This is exactly what we want from a scouting context. And we're going to have folks in multiple ranks for each for many of these. So, you know, I'll be at the Freddy's Classic for sure. And we're probably going to get somebody at the MHL Cup. We'll probably get somebody over at the Arrow and potentially get someone over at Sereno. So we're hoping to really start to kind of spread our tentacles a little bit and start to get more and more coverage because, um, you know, the clock is ticking on our D1 write-up. So we've got to really get cracking on that. Yeah, you know what? I may go down and check out some of those Sereno games just because – Malden's not there you go. Fun, so, absolutely. Um, other things, just kind of some site notes. I know as we were talking before we recorded, if you head over to the website, all of the D1 rosters are up. That's right. It, Merry Christmas early. It's all <laughs> it's all there. So, um, yeah, no, and and um, so yeah, it, basically with the D1 rosters, it took us quite a while to get um, all of them locked in. It essentially was, um, you know, we, we have 41 teams across D1, and not only do some of the teams post them on online where we have to grab them off of Instagram, grab them off of Twitter, grab them off of, you know, wherever and load them up, but in some cases, you know, we have to go to the ranks, grab the sheets, come back, and 
In other cases, we have coaches who will email, email them directly to us and give us the information. Some of the coaches load them up themselves and put them together. So this is you know something that has been going on for the past like three weeks to really get um, all of them up and ready to go. And the same thing with the schedules where we're manually inputting all of them you know, as we find them um, via like Arbiter Sports and other sources and talking to the coaches and stuff like that. But as of right now, there is nowhere else where you can see every D1 roster, every D1 schedule. We have them all localized on our site. Obviously, check that out. Mike also, uh, some big games coming up this week as well, right? Yes, yes. So that's one of the things where, you know, we set up our schedule um, about a day or, uh, or rather a week or so in advance. And I think one of the things that we're doing recording this fairly early in the week is um, we want to check out um, Archbishop Williams against Arlington Catholic. That's going to be an interesting game on Wednesday. Um, we're looking at a couple of games as well on Saturday. Um, it's a chance to go see a game at the Bentley arena, which um, I personally haven't been to. I know you have, but oh, I would love the like chance it. to. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And um, it's going to be a fun game because it's actually a rematch of last year's play-in game between Lexington and Waltham. So I'm very much interested to see that matchup, and I'm sure there's going to be more than a few hurt feelings on both sides, so that should be quite interesting. Um, we're also potentially looking into um, taking a look at Acton-Boxborough and Concord-Carlisle. Um, quick story note there, um, this is one of the things when it comes to scouting where, you know, in some cases you plan additional trips for specific reasons. Um, Will Mancuso, um, in his first season at the varsity level, as far as I'm aware, had five assists in his first game. So that that's something that you pick up and take notice of. So yeah. we're going to go check out and see what Concord Carlisle has to offer. Yeah, for sure. That's something that you definitely, I, I agree. That stands it out. It is well worth it. That stands out. Uh, well, I think that's it for this week, unless there's anything else we missed that we need to add. No, I, I think we, I think we hit it all. That's, that's pretty much everything. I guess the, the only thing left is the, uh, the, the Twitters, X's, and the Instagrams. <laughs> yes, that's right. Kind of direct people where to go. If they need all the, I mean, we, we obviously have told them where to go get the D1 rosters, but the schedules are on there as well. Uh, where should everybody go to find everything that there is to find? Absolutely. So, um, first off, we, we don't actually mention the URL all that often on the pod, but yeah, we probably um, should, just, huh? yeah, it's, it's a, it's a decent one. We can put it in the show notes. You know, we'll see. We'll toss it in. But the, um, the, for anyone who doesn't know what the URL is, it's neutralzone.net slash mass HS dash boys. So that'll get you to our main page. You'll be able to see all of the recaps and the tabs at the top will give you the list of all of the teams, the schedules, um, the scoreboards, which by the way, are fully up to date as of um, the beginning of this week, um, our standings page, as well as the leaderboards where you can check out the stats that all of the coaches who have put in box scores, you get to see who's leading based on those stats. Yeah, and you know um, what? So, That's a quick note to the coaches. If you're mm-hmm. listening to this, those box scores are unbelievable. What was it? Was it the prep game that you we had one for the other yes. day? Uh, yes. I mean, exactly. that, that's again, like I, I think you said, that's where elite prospects and everybody else is going to be pulling them from. Yep, exactly. We're we're partnering now actively with elite prospects and with RinkNet, um, yeah, and so, so get those, those obviously are going to get. Yeah. So if you get those in, so. The rosters, especially for D1, are all loaded up. And for other teams in other divisions, if you load up your rosters, load up your schedules, and you start putting in box scores, all of that information is going to feed statistics. It'll show up on the leaderboards, and it's also going to get pulled in um, for elite prospects and for rink nets. So 
get those in and, and you'll be able to gain more exposure for your players. hundred percent. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's good to note. Uh, I, I saw you note that on Twitter the other day, so I wanted to make sure we included that. Uh, and so that's the URL. Where else can people, I mean, obviously we've the, the Twitter, the Instagram, all the other stuff. For sure. So, um, Twitter handle, if, um, you aren't aware already, it's at mass NZ. So you can feel free to find us over there. We're tweeting pretty much every day and, um, just firing off notifications on, you know, what games are taking place during the day. Obviously, we're documenting all the games we're going to. We're sharing our recasts. We're sharing our parking lot postgame videos. So you can find all of that there. Um, and then on the Instagram side, we are at official mass NZ. Um, so you can find us there. We just started that up um, a few months ago and it's starting to catch fire. Um, so you'll see a few videos on there as well as um, we show we show some of our recaps on there. We add some new stories um, every week as well. So a lot of fresh content. Um, the players are absolutely loving it from what we're seeing, which is awesome. We're getting players in the DMs who are hitting us up asking if we can come to games, which is something we've never seen before, which is pretty cool. Um, so it, it's it's been awesome to see the amount of support that we've seen across the ranks and support for this pod, I might add. The fact that we're getting reactions and ranks to the pod, which is really cool. I've had that happen too. I've had a couple of people now bring it up. Uh, Loving it. Filling a void, I think. I don't know that I think yeah. there was a need for this. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more, and I'm glad that you and I are the ones to do it. Same, exactly. Well, that'll do it uh, for this week's episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more, of course. But until then, for Mark Pilata, I'm Mike McMahon. Enjoy the hockey. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, everybody.